Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this, your written word, where you communicate to us your thoughts and your processes. We pray that uh, as I come to speak now, that the words I speak uh, will be from you through the power of the Spirit, and that we may leave this place not only knowing that we have met with you and with each other, but with something more to do. And we ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, four weeks ago, we looked at Psalm 66 and at what true joy is. And that true joy involved praise, testimony and sacrifice. And that it was only by serving as instruments of God's uh, Uh, orchestra of joy, that true joy can be experienced. And then last week we looked at the momentous and joyous event which was followed by a great tragedy as Nadab and Abihu stumbled and incurred God's wrath on their sin. And tonight we look again in my favourite book of Leviticus and some of the words and phrases we commonly use come straight from this book. Words such as jubilee, Words such as uh, scapegoat, which we'll be looking at later on. And what husband hasn't given his wife a guilt offering at one time or another? I have. Flowers, chocolates. And Leviticus does have important things to tell us about sin, obedience and holiness. And perhaps most importantly, it tells about a God who is willing to dwell with his people. And so tonight we delve into chapter 16, which is the centre and the pinnacle of the book. So please keep your Bibles open to chapter 16. And chapter 16 describes the momentous day of atonement. And we know that God had chosen Israel to be his people and that they would be to be a shining beacon of light to the world around them. And as part of the covenant that God made with their leader Moses, God said that he would be their God and that they would be his people. What a contrast to the nations around them that worshipped multiple gods that were made of stone and wood, were inanimate and were thirsty for things such as human sacrifice. Not this God. And most of the activity takes place in the tabernacle. What did the tabernacle look like? It was like a big marquee and down the middle it was cut off by a curtain. There was the public side and the other side. Beyond the curtain we know as the Holy of Holies where the chief priest could only enter once a year. Perhaps that was Nadab's and Abihu's mistake after having a bit too much wine. (laughs) And so inside the Holy of Holies were these items which all screened how special this place was to God and also to Israel. There was the Ark of the Covenant, the object representing God's presence with his people. There was the mercy seat, which was a removable top of the Ark where the blood was sprinkled by the high priest. Then there was the golden censer, where the high priest used this to make a cloud of incense as he entered the Holy of Holies. Then there was the golden pot of manna, which symbolised how God had supplied the needs of his people during their wanderings. There was Aaron's rod, 
And then lastly, there were the stone tablets of the law as given to Moses on Mount Sinai. So what was the Day of Atonement all about? It was to be an annual event. The verses which Sue read to us so wonderfully give a summary, but you can read the details in the rest of the chapter. To atone means to clean, to make amends and to substitute. Chapter 16 starts by referring back to the incident we looked at last week with Abihu and Nadab. Through their death, the Lord states the fundamental principles for priests. Only they could mediate for the nation between him, before him and they had to be spiritually and ceremonially clean. Let's look very quickly at five aspects, otherwise Bruce will tell me off later, no doubt. There's the offerings, the blood, there's Aaron, there's the scapegoat and the people. So firstly, the offerings. The five offerings performed on the Day of Atonement in order to cleanse and re-consecrate the tabernacle all included the death of an animal and therefore involved blood. Two blood atonement sin offerings, one scapegoat sin offering and two burnt offerings. So that's the offerings. What about blood? Any haemophobes here? No, there's no blood. But why was the blood used to cleanse? Why not soap and water? Did God need blood in order to quench his bloodlust? By all means, no. Blood was used because it was to show that sin had a cost. And the cost was blood because as Leviticus 17 verse 11 tells us, life is in the blood. The death substitute of an animal reflected a temporary covering or veneer, which is why it needed to be done over and over again each year. So that's blood. But what about Aaron? And during his normal daily duties, he represented God before the people and was dressed as a king. A king with great honour and clothes that would draw attention to his office of honour. And here on the one day of the year, the Day of Atonement, he represented the people before Almighty God. And he was dressed not as a king, but as a servant. Before the Lord Almighty, Aaron is stripped of honour and he approaches God as a servant. So to a certain extent, Aaron was a servant king. And before he could go into the most holy place, the Holy of Holies, he had to create an obscuring cloud of incense to veil the glory of God so that he could enter and live unlike his sons. And no doubt the memory of his sons provided an extra incentive for him to follow God's rules meticulously. And we have the scapegoat. And all this talk of a scapegoat. There were two goats to be offered. One goat was sacrificed as a substitutionary sin offering for the people and its blood taken into the Holy of Holies and sprinkled on the mercy seat. Aaron laid his hands on the second goat's head, the one that was kept alive, and this symbolically cast the burden of sins of the nation onto that goat. It was then driven out into the wilderness, far away from the camp, and was never to return. I can imagine the looks on their faces if it decided to come back. And lastly, what about the people? What were they to do? Just sit there and look bored while all this took place? 
Well, they were not to be passive, but rather they were to remember this day as an addition to their annual calendar by uh, humbling their souls, as one version puts verse 31. This involved not doing routine things such as working and feasting. They were to ponder upon the awesomeness of their God who lived amongst them and to reflect the cost of their own sin. They were also trusting that the chief priest was being fully obedient to the regulations. So atonement was done. On this day of atonement, the one day of the year, atonement took place between God and his cherished people. God's holy dwelling place and things associated with it were cleansed by blood. The sins and disobedience of the nation of Israel over the previous year had left impurities as stipulated in verse 16. The cleansing blood was to symbolise the great cost of sin. If the Day of Atonement did not proceed as regulated, or perhaps they forgot one year, God could no longer be present with his people due to the stains of sin and the uncleanness of his tabernacle or dwelling place. Holiness is what separates God from all his creation. For God alone is holy, perfect and full of glory. Exodus 15.2 says, Who is like you, O God, glorious in holiness? Or Isaiah chapter 60, verse 25, To whom will you liken me? Or so shall I be equal, says the Holy One. But if God was holy, how was his nation to act holy? That's what we'll be looking at now as Chris Cook comes to read to us.